The Google Podcast app is going away in April. Right now, I want you to take a look at the podcast app you're using right now. Maybe it's time for a new one. Check out podcastapps.com and try a new one for free right now. That's podcastapps.com. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. This is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. And by art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. There's no place in the world like writing class. And we want to bring you in. I'm so excited about today's episode because we're featuring a story by one of our students, Marjorie Berger. Marjorie has told the story on this podcast before. It was episode 46 called An Object is Not Just an Object. And on that show, she told this stunning story about her obsession with her scale. So after today, if you want more Marjorie Berger, and I think you will, go to episode 46. Marjorie's been in class with us for like three or four years. She can't quite remember and neither can I, but it feels like it's been a long time. I am so impressed and like, uh, just, she's like one of those students that like gets me so excited to be a teacher. Like she has every ingredient to be a great writer, except one. These are the ingredients that I think take, to make her great. She's self-conscious and even like neurotically self-conscious, but I actually think that's, that's a boon for a writer. She knows herself really well. She does her work, like she reads, she writes, she rewrites, and she has so many ideas. Like she she has a stockpile of really good stories. And yeah. she's not afraid to get vulnerable and tell the truth. Yeah. That's a huge one. Huge. And she's so talented. But the one thing she doesn't have is the guts to send out her stories for a publication. It's weird because like, honestly, like she and I have been in like a fight for the last two years or so because I'm like, Marjorie, okay, this one's ready. Why don't you send it out? And she's like, okay, I will. And then she Uh doesn't until she did it. It's so good. She sent her story out and it got published today. And that's the story we're airing today. My boyfriend said my hands are ugly and I can't get over it. And then also on today's episode, we, we have a little interview with Marjorie because we, we got her on the phone to talk about like what the hell is holding you back. When we're back, you'll hear Marjorie's story. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Hey, this is Allison, host of Writing Class Radio. I know there are many of you out there who don't have access to a writing group or someone to look over your essay or manuscript. If that's the case, I can help. I'm available to help you whip your essay into shape. I'll read through your draft, offer suggestions, line edits, and I'll spend time with you brainstorming for the best possible ending. But be prepared to answer the question, what is this story about? Because if you don't know, nobody knows. 
You know, sometimes it takes more than a bath or a long walk to figure this out. It takes a brutal editor who will tell you what works, what needs more explaining, and what needs to go. For more information, visit writingclassradio.com. Then email allison at writingclassradio.com. Use the code WCR and your first 15 minutes is free. And our conversation with Marjorie. We're back. This is Allison Langer, and you're listening to Writing Class Radio. Here is Marjorie Berger with her story. My boyfriend said, my hands are ugly and I can't get over it. My boyfriend and I have been together for a year. In March, we quarantined due to COVID-19. It was just us all the time. We were getting along well until I made him watch Love is Blind, a Netflix reality show. On the show, the participants meet for dates in rooms divided by an opaque screen. The idea is that they can fall in love through conversation and then decide to get married sight unseen. I would not have fallen for David through an opaque screen. We met on a dating website. After a few texts and one phone conversation, we met in person. I liked what I saw. He was tall and his eyelashes were long and thick. He was well-dressed and I noticed his flowered socks when we sat down. I liked his style. It seemed like he liked how I looked too. His face lit up when he saw me. He said, you look so youthful. I don't know what he had expected. I had posted current photos of myself and had not lied about my age, 61 at the time. That night, the conversation was decent, but I can't say it flowed. It's not what made me go out with him again. I went on a second date with him because I thought he was handsome. It didn't go as well. At dinner, I asked him lots of questions about his family and upbringing in his tight-knit Jewish community in Colombia. He talked a lot. I didn't. When he asked me to go out again, I said, no, thank you. He texted me a cute multiple choice test asking why. I talked too much about myself. I talked too much about politics. Too tall, too handsome. I said all of the above. He asked if we could be friends and suggested a non-date date. We went to dinner. I had a good time, so we went on a few more non-dates to a movie and a play. I started to like him when he asked me the questions I had asked him about my parents and my kids and my marriage. And he always offered me part of his entree. Slowly, I fell in love with David. When he told me his wife left him after 25 years of marriage and then didn't say anything bad about her, I knew he had more going for him than height, eyelashes, and cute socks. During quarantine, we'd fallen into a routine that made me feel loved. He vacuumed the house a few times and didn't seem bothered when I re-vacuumed. Often, he had passion fruit popsicles delivered for me because he knew how much I loved them. When he told me he didn't have to watch soccer, he handed me the remote control. I clicked on Love is Blind. As David and I watched the couples meet each other face-to-face for the first time, I was nervous. My heart beat rapidly. What if they didn't like each other? I was relieved when Amber and Barnett embraced and kissed passionately the moment they met. David said, she's really pretty. I agreed. 
but I thought, would Barnett have been attracted to Amber if she weren't so pretty? Would she have been attracted to him if he weren't so tall? I paused the show. I said, pretend you're a contestant and you're seeing your match for the first time. What would your deal breakers be? He said, now at 60, I don't have as many deal breakers. I find certain imperfections attractive. I was liking this answer so far. I thought about my imperfections, the spider veins on my legs, the deepening creases on my face, and even on my knees. Then he said, but when I was young, if I met someone with ugly hands, I wouldn't have been attracted to her. I went silent. I have ugly hands. David knows how I feel about them. A few months into our relationship, he asked me why I kept my nails so short and why I didn't wear nail polish. I told him that I don't like to draw attention to my hands. I don't have long, elegant fingers with pretty nails with half moons at the base. My nails are wide. No matter how often a manicurist cuts or pushes my cuticles back, my nails never grow beyond my fingertips and my hands never look sexy. My palms are wide too. A physical therapist once asked me if I had been a gymnast. She said, gymnasts have wide palms. She may as well have said, you have man hands. And now with age, my hands are wrinkled and veiny with lots of little brown age spots. Had David forgotten how I felt about my hands or was he trying to hurt me? I said, so if you had met me 30 years ago, you wouldn't have been attracted to me because of my hands? He said, I don't think I would have been. I slid away from him to the other end of the couch. My throat tightened and my chest felt heavy. He said, come here, give me your foot. He likes my feet. He said, really, you're mad at me? I kept my feet planted on my side of the couch. I didn't say a word. He tried to backpedal. He said, there's nothing ugly about you except your hands. That didn't make me feel any better. I can call my hands ugly, but he can't. When he said he wouldn't have been attracted to me because of my hands, I discounted his compliments about my face, my legs, and other body parts. Maybe if he didn't like my hands, he wouldn't love me. I'm no better. I have deal breakers too. I know that love really isn't blind and that I wouldn't have liked him if he were a foot shorter. When we got into bed that night, we didn't cuddle like we do on most nights. The next morning, he pulled me to him. I stiffened. He said, you're still mad? I told him what I thought everyone knows. If a woman asks a man, does my ass look fat in this dress? The answer is always no. David told me he was surprised about how upset I was. I told him I would think about how ugly my hands are every time he looks at them. He told me he loves my hands because they're part of me. I didn't believe him. Was I going to let one mean comment ruin our relationship? That felt petty, but also possible. In a perfect world, I would want love to be blind. It's not. I need my man to love every inch of my body, and if there's something he doesn't love, to keep it to himself.
say great. She nails it. I thought, so yeah. good. I loved it too. I mean, the, the thing I love most about it is that she is so good with scenes and description that I, I felt like I was watching the show with her. I felt like I was on the couch with her. I was at the manicures with her. And, um, and she calls herself out. I'm no better, you know, and then petty, but possible. Like, so she's not being holier than thou. She's saying, I do this shit too, but it doesn't feel good. And, um, yes. and, and that's what I love the most. Okay, because, okay, everything that you just hit, I agree. I just want to go through it as um, we would go through it in class. But this one is, it's done. Like, it is so well done. Okay, she gives us the why now so perfectly. Like, right now, she's living with David because of quarantine. They're spending all their time together. And right now, she started watching Love is Blind. And she did this excellent thing that is so smart. It's a, it's a, such a smart way to get your story published, which is like she tapped into something that's going on in our culture, which is Love is Blind is this Netflix show that, you know, so many people are watching. So she like tapped into something that other people already know. That I think is just really brilliant. There's a lot of, st- a lot of people who write stories about shows or whatever is going on in the culture. So she did that really well. The only thing I will say is when she said, I need my man to be blah, blah, blah. It didn't sound like her voice. I thought, what editor changed that word? In a perfect world, I want love to be blind. It's not. I need my man to love every inch of my body. And if there's something else he doesn't love to keep it to himself. And I love the concept. I love the ending. It's so good. Do you think that you think that because you know her? Because I didn't notice it, but maybe it just isn't doesn't ring true to her voice. Maybe. My man sounds a little bit modern. And sometimes that happens when you get your stuff published. And whether this is the published version or the non-published version, sometimes they change words. And like, I've read my stuff and been like, huh, okay. I hear you, but I thought it was really minor. And if the editor changed it, all she can say is thank you. <laughs> Because that's the proper response to an editor changing your words. Thank you, even if you don't like them. But the story I love, I love, love, love. I've heard it in different stages. And this is absolutely my the best stage. And I think it's because it's been whittled down a little bit. It's been refined, but it was pretty dang good right out of the box to begin with. I just got excited by how in the moment she was able to be. The way she described, and this gets to your point, like, She cares also about looks and she proves that in the story because right at the beginning, she said that she wouldn't have fallen for him if she wasn't able to see him. She she wouldn't have fallen for him if he were behind an opaque screen. She liked his looks, his style and his eyelashes. And then she went on a second date with him, she said, because he's handsome. I think that there was a moment where she brought that. Yes, she brought that back because she does show us that she's more than just a shallow person. And I don't mean that with any judgment. I mean, I I like beauty too. But when he talks about his ex a little bit later in the story and is vulnerable, she realized that it was more than his height and his eyelashes and his cute socks. So that was a callback. I just thought that was like such good writing. It's so controlled. Yeah. And, and 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 who isn't in love with the boyfriend by this point? Oh, because of his adorable um, 
checkbox like list of, wait, why don't you want to go out with me? And then he's like, okay. And he'll go out with her anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And just that he's, you know, on the couch trying to pull her in and he's like, you know, at 61, he's not, he doesn't have as many deal breakers, you know, like it's just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I really liked him a lot. The scene of them on the couch where Marjorie is moving over and he is like asking for her foot. And then that line, he likes my feet. I thought that was so funny. It's like, he doesn't like my hands. Oh, he likes my feet. I just love that. There's something funny going on 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 Twitter right now where um, there's this one woman who's like, who hates men who only talk about themselves? And I like chimed in because it reminded me of what David did with Marjorie. He was just talking and talking without asking any questions. And she refers to it in the story. But then I wrote on Twitter, like, listen, a friend of mine went out with this guy and he all he did was answer her questions without asking any. But the reason he did that is because he thought she wanted to know all about him for like safety reasons. Like he took it as like an interview. Oh, that's funny. So this guy's like, but it was like well-intended. And then on the next date, he was like, he passed his interview (laughs) in his mind. And then he was like, all right, let me, let me learn all about you. And it was at that point where he took an interest in her. And that's when she realized it was more than just his height and his eyelashes. I was like, listen, we make a lot of assumptions about people. Yeah, we do. And you know what else? If you can't insert yourself in a conversation, that's your problem. That's the way I feel. I mean, like it's a, it's a two way street. You ask a question, somebody answers it and asks a question back. But sometimes people just keep bombing questions at you because they don't want you to ask them any questions or they want to be able to have a reason why they don't want to go out with you again. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can say, Hey, let me tell you a little bit about myself. You know, get yourself in the conversation. Don't blame somebody else. Damn. Okay. But it is sort of generally true that men monopolize conversation and don't take a huge interest in other people. And so we as women, I think, fall prey to that. And we're like, fuck that guy. All he does is talk about himself. I mean, if we're dating a man and a woman, if we're in a hetero, you know, dating situation or even not. So anyway, that's what was happening, I think, for Marjorie. And that was happening for this woman on Twitter. But yeah, it's not, we don't know. I don't like it when you make generalizations like that about men. I don't think that's fair to them. You can't generalize. That's not nice. Generalizations are, are typically not nice, but there are, no, there not. is some I mean, truth I, I don't like it. Sometimes. Don't make me fight my way back. You know, like, why are you going to make me fight my way back and be on the defensive? Or, I mean, I'm not a man, obviously, but the men that are listening right now, they're thinking like, what the fuck? I'm not like that. Why is she saying that? So I don't think that's nice that maybe some of the men you most of the men you've met are like that. But don't, I don't I don't think it's fair to generalize. Well, my point is we as humans generalize. And I also think generally because I'm generalizing men dominate conversations. And I think that's what was happening for Marjorie when she was on her date with David at first. But then he had a really good reason for it. Maybe he was super excited to like be out with her. And he was like so excited just to blah, blah, blah. And he was nervous. So, you know, I'm so glad she did go out with him a second time. I don't know what his reason was. He told her that he thought that was his role. Right. That he needed to express to her that he was a safe guy for her to go out with. I don't know. I I think it's so sweet. 
He like changed yeah. my um, assumption. Don't get all biachi on me, Allison. I'm saying I changed my assumption. Okay, good. But okay, that's that's what else do we want to say about um, Marjorie's essay that I think is the best thing ever. I freaking love it. I don't know. Let's talk to her. Let's find out how she feels. Hi, Marjorie. How do you feel getting your story published? Well, I'm really thrilled. I was very reluctant and always very afraid to submit stories because I never felt like they were good enough or that they were done. But you all always push me and I was afraid of you. So I did it. (laughs) Wait, can you be specific in the you? Oh, yeah. Andrea yells at me all the time for not submitting stories. And she'll say, it's done. Just send it in. And she sends me specific ideas of where to send everything. And at first, when she did it, I was um, stuck on writing the cover letter, the cover email. I couldn't do it. And I sent her 100 versions. And she thought that there was something wrong with me. Didn't I send you a sort of a template? Yes, you did. But for some reason, I couldn't use it. It was like not being able to read an instruction manual or something. My biggest thing with the with the cover letter is trying to figure out what my story is about in two sentences. Maybe you should read those two sentences because that's good. Because the cover letter that you wrote to Jeannie Ralston at okay. Next Tribe was just excellent. Okay, one second. I wrote... In my essay, my boyfriend said my hands are ugly and I can't get over it. I show what happened when I asked him what his deal breakers would be if he were a contestant on Love is Blind. When he said ugly hands, it almost ended our relationship. For me, for my boyfriend, and I think for most people, love is not blind. Boom. That's so good. That so says what the story is about. You nailed it. Thank you. It's a little bit easier too, because cold calling somebody and just sending your your thing out to 10 people you have no connection to is really hard. But if you have somebody, an editor you can direct it to is often a little bit more of a push. And because Andrea was just published in Tribe, um, there was a direct link, a direct connection and a direct line right away. Like, okay, let's get them while they're hot. So I'm glad you did that. Right. And Great I opportunity. My writing teacher and friend, Andrea Askowitz, suggested I submit this story. To you. Well, isn't opportunity everything? <laughs> opportunity and good writing. Boom. I mean, editors are just people. They're looking for stories. If there's something that they like, then why wouldn't they like it again? kind of like from that same, whatever, that same sort of pool. Although I've tried that many times. I tried that with Alison Klein at the Washington Post. She's just always like, no, no, no. She's like, I like Alison Langer stories, not yours. (laughs) I tried it with the Washington Post and dropped Alison's name. And I tried it dropping Andrea's name at the Huffington Post. And they rejected me in about a minute. So... Well, you have to have a combination of forces. You have to know the right person. You have to hit them while they're open. You have to appeal to them. And then you have to have a great story. I have two more questions for you, Marjorie. How long have you been in writing class radios classes? I thought you might ask that, and I was trying to remember. And I, I think it might be my third year. 
Okay. So, and how many stories do you have that are great? Honestly, like tell that, how many stories do you have that I think are great? Because I know you have a stockpile. I feel that I maybe have four or five stories that I would feel comfortable sending into a publication. I have so many others that I I looked on my Google document because I I write in a Google doc and I have hundred and they're labeled by year. Each year I have a writing class radio file and each year I have more words. I don't know if the words are better, but I have thousands of words in each year. So that's awesome. I mean, what else can you ask for? I don't know. I mean, I, I do think it's amazing to be able to submit and get published because there's no better feeling. You know, it tells you that something you did is good enough and who doesn't suffer from not being good enough, right? So I, I think it's that part, but you know, the contrary is true too. Like after I send out the same piece to 15 different publications and I get rejections, it's demoralizing and it's very hard to bounce back. Andrea, do you have any um, any suggestions on on how how people would deal with that? Have your writing teacher yell at you. Get in a writing class. Get in a writing class. I mean, honestly, you know, I'm answering my own question, but I can tell that like our Tuesday class, our Thursday class, the Saturday class, like those classes, when you're in them, you're motivated and you're moving and and, and you fail and people go, oh, it's great. It's great. And you're like, really? Okay, let me submit it. You know, so it's that feeling of being in a class. And remember what Jerry Seinfeld said? Wasn't it Jerry Seinfeld? He actually said, get out of class and just get on stage. <laughs> but we I are on stage in writing class. Radio. But I don't think it applies to writing. Yeah. It was either him or somebody else said something about like, the whole goal of being in a class is although to learn, but it's to be motivated to show up the next time. So you're going to get pushed down by outside forces and publications and, and your friends and your family and everything like that. But your class is always going to pull you right back up. And that's where you want to be. Let me ask um, Marjorie about that, because um, from my perspective, I've been like pushing Marjorie up, pushing, pushing, pushing. But maybe it's had like a, an inverse effect. Because I really, I just want to ask you one more time, like, why do you hesitate to send out your stories when they're so great? Well, thank you for the compliment. And I'm not sure if it's fear of rejection. I get intimidated when I read really good personal essays that are published. And I think mine couldn't be even close to as good as that. It's not the rejection. It's just being afraid of measuring up because I think there are so many great writers and it's inspiring to read good writing, but it's also intimidating. I think that's what holds me back now. Before it was like the process, like being afraid to contact the editor, being afraid to write the, the email. But now it's fear of being good. Like I, I've been trying to hone this craft and I read what I wrote three or four years ago. And I, I believe that writing class has made me a much better writer. So now I'm afraid that I'm still not, I'm more discriminating now about my own work. So I'm scared for that reason. 
Oh my God. You know who talked about that is um, Danny Shapiro. I think she said, you got to just write what you be who you are right now, because down the road, of course, you hope you're, you're look back and say, God, I was such an idiot. I was so stupid because then it shows that you've grown, but it's true. I think we all suffer from that. Yeah. Am I really in the ballpark with these people? But then you read a few bad pieces and I'm like, I'm back in. (laughs) That too. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That too. (laughs) I thank you for that honest assessment. I want to ask you though, is there any part of it that has to do with like, you know, you're writing about your boyfriend, you're writing personal stories. Is there that? You know, the writing, when I get um, feedback in class often on something I wrote, it's so interesting how people know that I didn't say something important because I don't want to reveal it because I don't want to be public about it. And there's a hole, there's something missing. So yes, there are a lot of things that I don't want to write because I'm afraid it could hurt people. So I don't write it. Andrea, you've, you've had some issues with that too, haven't you? I've had the actual opposite experience. I cannot say enough good or bad about either of my parents. And when I don't write about them, they're like, hey, wait, what about me? And I, I just think, it, yeah, it's a very old kind of question in memoir, which is, you know, how do you write about other people in, in your stories without, you know, revealing shit about them or whatever. But that's a whole other conversation. But I know that it comes up and I'm, I get it. And what if someone gets angry with you about something at you for something you wrote, then what do you do? You apologize. Yeah, but they're in your story. And there's a lot of philosophy on this. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, my story is my story and your story is your story. And my dad actually takes that approach. So when I called my stepmother a floozy bitch in my memoir, my dad was cool about it, strangely. He was like, that's your story. I have mine. But it can get dangerous. People can really hurt people in their families. I just, I don't know why my dad has been so easygoing, but he just is. He's confident, maybe. Maybe he likes that about her. Good point. (laughs) It's true. It's not like he said, hey, you got that wrong. No, that's funny. We could just get into the mind of an adolescent boy now turned 80 something year old. I mean, I don't think it changes too much. And he's like, cool. I just got with the floozy bitch, you know, <laughs> right. Is your dad going to listen to this podcast? I don't know. But if he does, I'm, I don't, I'm not worried about it. He, he doesn't all press is good press for him. I mean, that's just how he is. Yeah. I don't think people are that cool in my family, but, um, you well, know. your mom isn't your mom's gotten pissed. Yeah, my mom's gotten really pissed, but we're fine. Like, we recovered. Also, sometimes it works out. Like, I had a really nice conversation with my ex-husband after he heard something I wrote. (laughs) So it can open up a conversation. Well, that's the hope, right? Isn't that the hope in storytelling, that it opens the door for a conversation? I mean, holding it in doesn't do any good. That's not good for the relationship, faking it. I mean, I just walk around telling all my friends my business, you know, then I write it, I say it in class, and then I move forward, hopefully, or I just hold on to it and stress out and drive everybody crazy. And then when they hear about it, they're like, oh, that's not new or news. (laughs) Well, I just am so thrilled, Marjorie, that you sent your story out and that your story is now on Writing Class Radio. And 
I'm just so rooting for you. You're so good. And, Thank you. And the best feedback ever. She's oh, on it. God. She has, I, I think that's a sign of a really good writer. I was taught by two masters. So go on. I believe that. Practice. It's all practice, right? Nothing comes easy. Yeah. And you practice like crazy. So I'm proud of you too. And I'm proud to know you. I'm proud to be beaten in tennis by you. I'm proud to be like beaten on a bike ride by you. And I'm just proud you're my friend. And that's even, that's what writing class radio does. It's amazing. It energizes you enough to kick the teacher's ass. Thank you, Marjorie Berger. And thank you for listening. This episode of Writing Class Radio is produced by Matt Kundal of Sound Off Media, Allison Langer, and me, Andrea Askowitz. Social media content is by Mia Pennekamp. Theme music is by The Amadians. Additional music by Poddington Bear. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. If you love this show and enjoy all the extras on our website, hit the support us button and check out the writing classes and publishing insights we give our Patreon supporters. For $10 a month, you get an all access pass with me. We can talk about where and how to get your stories published like Marjorie did. For $25 a month, you get a writing class a week with Allison. Classes are on Tuesdays from 12 to 1 Eastern Time via Zoom. You'll write to a prompt and share what you wrote. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday, so listen for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. This podcast will help you become the money expert among your family and friends. Just remember... Anyone can be a cash kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast.